0: There's so many thoughts that swirl around in my brain when we're going through worship. And one thought is, I'm so thankful for a music team, just how faithful they are uh, to that ministry, just how humble they are. Like, there's no attention being drawn to them. It is simply, we are here to help this congregation worship the Most High God. And they come and they do it humbly, but yet with excellence and It's just so powerful because God is in it and moving through them and they're sensitive to him. And so, just so thankful. So that that was one thought I had. Another thought I had was, um, all this stuff is just so, it's almost, it's so, it's too wonderful. It's so beautiful. It's so good. It's so wonderful. Like... It just bends my brain to think about the goodness of the things we're singing about, the goodness of God that I've experienced in my own life. And it's just powerful, right? Um, So we're going to keep talking about it. So one of the things that Brandon and I talk about that, guess what? Through the sermon, you're worshiping. The whole service is worship. So not just singing songs, which people often say, Now is the time for worship. We sing songs and now it's the sermon. This is all worship. And so give God your best now as you worship and hear his word taught. Um, I think it was Karl Marx who said that religion is the opium of the people. In other words, the way I understand this is it's comforting, uh, but not really true, right? Religion can be comforting, but not really true. Um, I would make the argument that although Christianity is considered a religion, there are so many things different about it than religion. Because religion is all about how do I work myself up to God. Christianity is how Christ has come down for you. Because you could never work yourself up to God. He comes and he gives you grace as a gift so that you can be connected to God. I was listening uh, to Tim Keller this morning, like I do on most Sunday mornings. Through the whole house, we got speakers. That, his voice is the third most voice heard in our house for our kids, other than my wife and I. It's just always playing. Um. So he said, because grace is a gift, the only thing that can stop you from receiving it is pride. Hmm. Only pride can stop you from receiving it. Alright, let's talk about why, yes, Christianity is of immense comfort, but we shouldn't just believe it because it's comforting, we should also believe it because it's true. If it's not true, then at some point the comfort of it is going to break down, okay? so. Jesus's burial, what did he accomplish in it? Let me read this passage to you. Matthew 27, 57 through 66. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees (laughs) gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. All right, in his burial, Jesus accomplished these things. He fulfilled prophecy. He provided proof that his resurrection happened. He completed his journey downward and he buried our old life in Adam. So, first, he fulfilled prophecy. So, there are two prophecies that Jesus fulfilled through his burial, which make even then his burial a supernatural miracle of an event. Even Jesus' burial. Uh, what are the prophecies? So in the book of Isaiah, written almost 600 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah 53, it's talking about the suffering servant who would come from the Lord that would bear uh, the, the iniquity of God's people and would be wounded for their healing. And here in Isaiah 53, there's this prophecy made. Isaiah 53, 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In other words, the intent was to make Jesus' grave with the wicked, but what actually happened is that he was buried with the rich. This is crazy. Let me tell you why. Was Jesus intended to be buried like a criminal? Yeah, he was, he was, he was, that's why he was crucified. He was guilty, he wasn't really guilty, but the people that won against him said he was guilty of treason, insurrection against Rome, right? Don't, you don't do that. And what happens to people like that is they're crucified. And he was crucified between two criminals, right? And then what happens to criminals that are killed for that reason is they're thrown into a common grave with other criminals. That's what happens only though after a few days typically of them just hanging on the cross because those dead corpse on the cross were a message to everybody else that was around you don't mess with rome you don't commit treason against rome and if you do you'll end up just like this person that is crucified so often birds wild animals would eat eat the bodies while they're hanging there. But eventually then they were thrown into a common grave somewhere far outside the city. This was what normally would happen. But here we read that, oh, there's this guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And he is the answer to the prophecy. Because we learned in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven that Joseph was wealthy. He was rich, right? And so we know what Joseph did. He went to Roman, the Roman governor, Pilate, asked for Jesus' body. Pilate granted his request. He took Jesus' mangled, bloodied body. He cleaned it up. He wrapped it in linen cloth, which is probably the most expensive outfit that Jesus ever wore. Places him in his own family tomb, hewn out of rock. You need to know that a tomb cut out of rock Super expensive. He was anointed. Old man Nicodemus got together with Joe to anoint Jesus' body with myrrh and aloes. um, Almost, some say 75 pounds, some say 100 pounds. Either way, it was the amount that would only be reserved for royalty because that stuff was so expensive. Was Jesus buried among the rich? Sounds like it. Buried in a rich man's tomb? Buried in fine linen clothing, buried with all these expensive, you know, aloes and spices that anointed, you know, perfumed his body. And this was all predicted almost 600 years prior to Jesus's birth. This is remarkable. Second prediction. Jesus made this other prophecy in Matthew 12, 40, he said for his Jonah was three days And three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus predicted his own death and burial. And therefore, his burial fulfilled his prophecy. Now, the question is, why does this matter for us today living at this time? I think if you're not a Christian, and I hope there are non-Christians listening online or even in this room, um... What, and I've said this throughout the series, how do you account for these prophecies that are fulfilled? How do you explain it? What's your explanation? If you don't believe that they're true and this actually happened, how do you explain it then? If you are a Christian, this should like just so bolster your faith. This is remarkable stuff, right? Um, And, and I think it's up on the screen, this should motivate you to pursue intimacy with Jesus. He's the savior of the world and it should motivate you to be daily in his word Obviously God's word is divinely inspired. It is the word of God Get into it, right? That's what you're holding It's amazing. Secondly, what did Jesus accomplish in his burial? He provided proof that his resurrection happened now Somebody who you talk to, or if you're a non-Christian listening, you may think, well, maybe Matthew just made up Jesus' burial account so that it appears that Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled. Well, this is improbable for, for several reasons. Let me just mention a couple. This is crazy. Do you know who Joseph was? Does anybody know what group he was a member of? The Sanhedrin. Do you know what the Sanhedrin did? It was the whole group. It was, a group of, it was the highest court in, 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 for the Jews. It was made up of 70 people. And the Sanhedrin were the ones who drove the rest of Jesus in his crucifixion. Jesus was... Alright, Joseph was a part of the Sanhedrin. Crazy. And not only was he a member of the Sanhedrin, Matthew tells us he was a prominent member, meaning... He had all kinds of influence. He was wealthy. He was influential. This guy had power. Who else was with Joe at the burial? I already said it. It was Nicodemus. You know who Nicodemus was? A Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. Matthew does tell us that Joseph did not consent to Jesus being killed. So he didn't agree with their ruling. But I, think about this, if you were making this up, would you have two members of the Sanhedrin who the disciples just despised, one a Pharisee, that the disciples despised, do you think you would have them, the heroes of Jesus' burial? You would never write it that way if you were making it up. Never. Never. And at the same time, you're incriminating yourself. Why? Because as a disciple, you weren't there. You had abandoned Jesus. You're making Joseph and Nicodemus the faithful ones. The ones who are actually there in Jesus' greatest hour of need. This is remarkable. You wouldn't make it up. Secondly, also, guess who else were there as witnesses? Maybe it says up on the screen. Yes, it does. Women. Women. And you need to know, at that time, women, their, they were, their, their testimony was not valid in the court of the law. And so if you were making up the story, you would not have women be the witnesses. Right? Alright? The other thing that I want to say also, and I skipped over it, but it's the first thing up there is that if you were making up the burial story, you would never have Joseph of Arimathea doing it because he was so well-known. You would make up a fictitious person, not somebody who is so accessible like Joseph of Arimathea. Like, everybody knew him. You could go right to Joe and ask him how this all happened. And if it didn't happen the way that Matthew is describing it, Joseph could tell you that. This is why C.S. Lewis, who spent his whole teaching career at Oxford and Cambridge, who studied myths and legends, he said this, I have been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths, all my life. I know what they are like. So if someone tells me that something in a gospel is legend or romance, I want to know how many legends and romances he has read, how well his palate is trained in detecting them by the flavor. Not how many years he has spent on that gospel. C.S. Lewis is like, hey, I've studied my my whole career, you know, studying legends and myths. This doesn't read. The gospels don't read as a myth or a legend. Um, William Lane Craig, he's a philosopher and an apologist. He states this, the majority of New Testament critics concur that Jesus was buried in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. According to the late John A.T. Robinson of Cambridge University, the burial of Jesus in the tomb is one of the earliest and best attested facts about Jesus. Now, the, the point is, how does Jesus' burial that the Gospels describe that we can take as historical fact, how does that, how does this burial help prove the resurrection? well, in order for resurrection to happen, for first, there has to be death first, right? <laughs> or there can be resurrection. And so, Jesus' burial verifies and provides <laughs> evidence that he was in fact dead and buried. And so, some of these other theories that skeptics have come up with for these resurrection appearances, such as the swoon theory, <laughs> that Jesus wasn't really killed on the cross; that he somehow made it through and um, you know survived that, and like, some, was knocked unconscious but came to, and then that's how that's how you descri- that's what really happened. Well, I'm sure, uh, based on the burial and how it all goes down, that that wasn't the case. He was dead, and then the guards at the tomb. I'm thinking before they sealed the tomb. I'm sure they probably went in and looked in to make sure Jesus was was there and dead, right? So um, and that's the 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 next point here Jesus's burial accounts refute the many theories that skeptics have proposed regarding the empty tomb and Jesus's resurrection appearances. I am going to skip everything I had in that section Uh, looking at those theories, but if anybody wants to come and talk to me about those, we can talk about it. I just started this week on a book by N.T. Wright. It's called um, The Resurrection of the Son of God. It's over 800 pages of first-rate scholarship that looks at all of these things. There's so much evidence there. So, why does this matter today? Why does it matter That Jesus' burial provides proof that the resurrection actually did happen. Well, if you're not a Christian, what do you do again with this evidence? How do you account for it? How do you explain it? William Lane Craig, let me just read one more thing. He said, other major facts which also stand up to scrutiny include the empty tomb, the original disciples belief that Jesus was risen from the dead despite having every predisposition to the contrary in the multiple occasions and various circumstances in which different individuals and groups of people experienced appearances of Jesus alive from the dead these facts are agreed upon by the majority of scholars these facts are agreed upon by the majority of scholars in any adequate historical hypothesis must account for them. If you don't believe that Jesus' resurrection truly did happen, how do you account for these historical facts that most scholars agree are actually historical facts? What's your explanation? If you're a Christian, your belief in the resurrection of Jesus is not based on a pipe pipe dream. Like, there is solid historical facts and scholarship that backs up what we believe. And so I hope it bolsters your faith. All right. I'll cover these points quickly. Jesus, through his burial, he accomplished his journey downward. He completed it through his burial. Philippians two, it talks about how Jesus, you know, made this process downward too. Right. And it talks about how Jesus gave up his rights, gave up his glory, gave up his privileges, gave up his status, his comfort, his safety. He gave up his own interest for the interest of others. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. He allowed himself to be completely, publicly humiliated, embarrassed, and shamed. Think about this that when Jesus hung on the cross, he did so naked. In most, or a lot of crucifixion victims, they lost control of their vows when they were hanging on the cross. I cannot think of a more brutal, publicly humiliating, shameful, embarrassing way to die. Jesus did. Just that. And we often think of Jesus' journey downward. We often think of the crucifixion as the high point of his humiliation. And it probably is. But it's not the end point. Because Jesus still had downward movement to go. He had to be buried, like literally he had to go lower. Um, John the Baptist said of Jesus in John 3.31, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What John is saying is that Jesus, he's from heaven, he's above all. This one from heaven though, who's above all, makes his journey downward. And puts himself in the heart of the earth below all. It's remarkable. Now, we see this this crazy picture of the king of heaven making himself, uh, who created earth, making himself swallowed up by the earth. We see the lifeless uh, son of God in the tomb who is actually the source of life. We see, you know, the breath of life breathless in a tomb. We see the light of the world in utter darkness, concealed. Why does this fact matter for us today? That Jesus' is buried, burial completed his journey downward? Death is a door that we all have to walk through. And Jesus has walked through it. And this makes all the difference in, in if you're a Christian and you're staring death in the face. Um, I talked to somebody recently who is staring death in the face. And when um, I asked her, what are you most afraid of? Being alone. Being alone. And I was able to express to her because she's connected to Jesus, the repentance and faith. Jesus experienced death alone, utterly abandoned, even by God the Father, so that you do not have to walk through that door alone. He's with you every step of the way. And he will never leave nor forsake you. And he will lead you into his arms, his loving embrace. And he's going to tell you, just wait a little bit here with me because I am going to resurrect you and I'm going to resurrect the world. If you're not a Christian, where do you place your hope? How can you stare death in the face? What hope do you have beyond the grave? How do you know that you're not going to be utterly alone and abandoned? Um, So that's so important. uh, Why Jesus, he can sympathize with us because he's been through what we've been through. When I had my appendicitis and I was in the hospital, I know this was a very minimal form of suffering. But when I knew that, and I was alone, Mary couldn't come, COVID, I knew I had to have emergency surgery the next morning. You know what sustained me in that moment? And brought me so much peace? Thinking about Jesus' suffering. I have a high priest that knows what it's like to suffer. I was talking with the principal a couple weeks ago and he is he was receiving criticism from a guy in the community because he only gave 4 tickets to a family for their sporting event and he was following the rules but of course you know parents upset with him because he didn't give them more tickets you know what just kind of buoyed his faith and buoyed him through that circumstance of criticism Jesus was misunderstood He was falsely, you know, accused. Right? We have a high priest who knows what it's like to suffer, and that makes all the difference in our suffering. Fourthly, and I'll finish up with this. Jesus, through his burial, buried our old life in Adam. And really, I don't know if I can improve upon what Shane Ty has shared with us. Fantastic what he shared. Remember last Sunday when we were talking about Jesus' death and what he accomplished for us in his death, we said that For those of us who are in Christ, the repentance and faith, when Jesus died, we died. What what was crucified when we when He was on the cross? Our old nature, apart from God, full of sin, slave to sin. It was crucified with Christ. That's why Paul in Romans 6, 5 through 7 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now why does Paul then speak of the burial of Christ and how when we are united to Christ through faith, Jesus burial is ours. I think what Paul is doing, and he mentions it in Romans 6, 4, look, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness units of life. What is Paul doing? He's intensifying the reality that we are actually dead to sin. So you're not just crucified to sin, you are buried to sin. Paul is making it as clear as he possibly can. You are dead to that old way of life. Now, when a person loses a loved one, right? There's this whole, there's this whirlwind of activity and emotions that just come through a person, and they're making funeral arrangements and more memorial service arrangements, and they're receiving you know friends that are coming and visiting and family, and they're receiving sympathy cards, and it's just a it's just a whole mess of a, of a situation, right? And it's usually not until the actual funeral and even the burial part that it really starts to become a reality that their loved one is no longer in the world. And while this is an extremely sad thing when you lose a loved one, um, as a, in regards to our union with Christ, this is so amazing. Because when... <laughs> When Jesus is buried and we're united to him, it's just like the, the, the last nail in the coffin, right? Like the, to our old nature. It proves with finality that that old life is dead and gone. It's been put out of this world. Out of this world. Now, <laughs> I, um, I think Shane and I, And I've talked about this with Brandon, but we're often running into Christians that are really struggling with sin. Um, And part of their struggle and why they're not seeing victory over that sin is because they don't really believe they're dead to it. They don't really believe that this besetting sin, this habitual pattern of thinking, feeling, or behaving, they can actually say no to. That they're not enslaved to it. And so, we Christians, I pray that God would make that reality true to our hearts, that we are actually dead to it. I really appreciate Brandon and the music that was selected because it said a lot about shame, embarrassment, guilt. Don't you know that if you're united to Christ through faith, that is all buried too? It's buried. It's gone. It's dead. It's out of this world. And so, you Christian, don't go focused on that old life and how you messed up. Don't go ruminating on that. Because when Jesus was hanging naked on a cross, He was bearing your humiliation. He was bearing your shame. He was bearing your embarrassment. And it was killed. And so look forward. Press on towards the goal, as the Apostle Paul says. Don't look behind, look forward. Look forward to submitting your body as a slave to righteousness, because now you can. Um, One other thing. This is not mental gymnastics. Because you know what shame is? Shame is beyond guilt. Guilt is I've done something wrong. You know what shame is? I am attached to our identity. I am wrong. And guess what? The reason why this way of thinking is not mental gymnastics is because it's actually true that you are not wrong at your identity level. Why? Because you've been given a new identity. Who you are deep on the inside is just like Jesus. Righteous, holy, pure. Strong, courageous, without fear. And so it's not mental gymnastics. This is reality, right? Okay, if you are a non-Christian, let me ask you this. Are you sick of being captive to your self-destructive ways? Are you tired of carrying the oppressive burden of guilt and shame? Why don't you let go of that burden by turning to Jesus, right? Right? Because as Jesus said, he's the only one that can heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, restore sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed by embarrassment, shame, and guilt. In his burial, Jesus fulfilled prophecy, provided proof that the resurrection happened, completed his journey downward, buried your old life in Adam. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that even your burial is this supernatural affair wonderful, Um, and perhaps we've probably just scratched the surface of the meaning and the theological significance behind it and a practical significance for our lives. Lord, my prayer is that you would make more real to my heart and to every heart that is listening, that has abandoned their pride and in humility received the gift of being united to you, Jesus, that they would understand that, they, that their old life is dead, it is buried, it is out of this world, it's long gone. May we live from that power, from that truth. Make it real to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.